When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. In 2001, Linkin Park were under pressure. Their debut, Hybrid Theory, was breaking record after record, well on its way to selling 5 million copies in a single year and becoming one of the most commercially successful albums of all time. But partly as a result, they were on a grueling world tour constantly getting sick as they chased winter around the world. And an unfounded rumor had started to swirl that the band was a manufactured plant, a new metal rap rock boy band. So, as they crammed into the claustrophobic writing and recording space on their tour bus to work on Hybrid Theory's follow-up, they not only had to live up to the success of a staggeringly successful debut, they had to prove that they were authentic. The result was 2003's Meteora, a more sample-based, less guitar-heavy record that included some of the band's greatest hits, Numb, Faint, and Somewhere I Belong. It helped to establish Linkin Park as one of the most impactful rock groups of all time, confident enough to sweep into U2's sonic territory, popular enough to sell out stadiums on their own, ubiquitous and idiosyncratic enough that just about everyone you know either loved them or hated them. That all ended in 2017, with the tragic death by suicide of their lead singer, Chester Bennington. Linkin Park have been on hiatus ever since. Their MC and co-frontman, Mike Shinoda, released an emotionally raw solo album, Post Traumatic, in 2018, confronting Bennington's passing and its after-effects head-on. And a comprehensive 20th anniversary reissue of Hybrid Theory gave fans an intimate look at the band's early days but there's been no new music from Linkin Park since. For the first time, however, since Linkin Park's last album, One More Light, we do have Chester Bennington's voice on a fully formed and never before heard song. Diving back into the archives for the 20th anniversary reissue of Meteora, Shinoda stumbled on Lost, a track cut from the album at the last minute, and thought by fans, pretty much everyone including Shinoda himself, to exist only in the form of an instrumental. Recently, I spoke to Shinoda about how he unearthed Lost with its dual vocals, how Meteora came to life two decades ago, and why Linkin Park's music keeps finding new life today. I'm not sure I've really had a conversation like this with somebody for a while about 
finding lost music, especially music that's so sort of poignant, something that felt like it might have been lost and a voice of somebody who, who you're still mourning. I wanted to start with Lost, which I know is a single that you guys are gonna put out. So you found that song pretty much whole, right? I mean, I know that you went in and mastered it afterwards, but you found that, and uh, wh when did you find it? Where did you find it? Was it on a CD or a hard drive? So we put out a 20th anniversary of Hybrid Theory and it did really well. At the moment when we did it, it was like I, we didn't have a plan to do 20th anniversaries of anything else. And then when it did well, we were like, okay, people want this. And the great news is I think we've got a lot, like we had a, we had some material for Hybrid Theory 20, but like going forward, Meteora, we have a lot of material, I think. So we started like looking through the band's hard drives and, and like friend, going out to friends and stuff. And be like, if you've got anything from this era, like send it over. I mean, the, the headlines, the, hi the highlights of the excavation were, you know, the song Lost and actually a couple of other songs with vocals and then a bunch of other songs that were demos of things that didn't come out, like different demos that, of, of other songs that didn't ever get finished. A whole documentary basically of our touring at the time, like what it was like on the road with us. And then multiple shows that had been professionally filmed and captured and hadn't really been fully released. It's a lot. It really is like if you're a Linkin Park fan, like, and you like this album, it is like so, it goes so, so deep. But you also just get this wonderful time warp or snapshot of what, of just how young and like naive and childish the band was at the time. Like, we were. 25 ish but we were acting like teenagers man like i we the thing was that we were just experiencing when the especially when the the the, the video portion of it we were touring on hybrid theory we had gone from playing like like clubs for five for maybe 300 people to headlining festivals in a year like the the show in la the radio show for the radio station here in la the one year we were the first band on the lineup and the very same show one year later we were the headliner on the lineup and it was like in our minds like we didn't even at that point grasp what had happened we were just you know head down going through what we knew we just get to the next step get to the next step get to the next step and the meteora when we got to that part it was like okay like we started recording it on the road like get to second album here are our challenges Here's what we expect of ourselves. Here's what other people are thinking. Here's what other people expect. Like, gotta like make the best record that we can. I think you can hear it in all of the material on this 20th anniversary package. So the DVD that came out, I don't know if it's the same one, but the DVD that came out with Meteora at the time, you get a real sense of the work that you guys were putting in. Chester says something about like, I basically like thriving under pressure. And it sounds like by the end of that that process, there was a lot of pressure on you guys. Like Chester gets sick for like five weeks towards the end of the process when he's still got to track vocals. Like, but you guys are really- We were always sick. Oh my God, we got <laughs> sick so, like, I don't know what was wrong with us, but we got sick so much. There was a point at which we were touring, uh, lead the end of Hybrid Theory tour leading into that Meteora, uh, recording and all that stuff where we called it the endless winter tour and we followed winter around the planet for five months like it was cold and rainy everywhere we went at the, at the like three month point we're like 
why is it still raining? Like it's every day is rainy. We're always sick. We're doing a show and like go to the side of the stage and throw up in a bucket and come back on and keep finish the song. Like we were a mess, just pushing as hard as we could every single night. I was, I remembered sleeping in the tour bus, bundled up with the chills and a fever. I played a show, got in my like second layer of clothes, went into the bunk, slept, woke up, ate, slept, woke up, ate, slept, got on stage to go on and play another show. Like I just stayed in the bunk sick. And I did that for multiple days and just until I felt like I could get up in the middle of the day. And this was, this was like life for us at that point. And when it wasn't that, it was us being wildly just childish. Like it was the best ride, right? Like, could, like dream come true to be able to do that. And so we were just enjoying every minute of it. Was that internal pressure or external pressure? Was it because you were under pressure like, hey, you've got a tour, like the label set us up or were you pushing yourself because you're 25 and that's what you do? Yeah, so here's the context. So as we went along, we'd get updates about the performance of the album and the tour and whatever. And every email was, you guys, we broke another record. Like this song did better than any song. This song did better than your last song. This tour did, we got to go bigger on the fest. We got to go bigger on the headline tour. Oh, we should probably like think about making our own festival. By the end of Hybrid Theory, they said, we got a, no, a, an email from the label saying, Hybrid Theory was the biggest album on planet earth this year. It took us forever, it took us weeks to even process that information because we were so used to hearing good news, as stupid as that sounds, like everything was like bigger, bigger, bigger. And then when they hit that, we almost filed it under just more good news and then realized like, this is not the same good news. This is a life-changing good news and a life-changing pressure as we go into this next record. Meanwhile, a rumor had started, I think it was like UK press, rock press, where they were really snarky and also there was no quality control. <laughs> like the press back then, the rock press especially, was like fucking children writing on blogs and submitting it to editors that would print it in a magazine. Like they were so bad. And they somebody made up a story about us being a manufactured basically rock boy band like like we they were like oh that's they're just like the backstreet boys of rock like some in they're an industry plant somebody had made up the band they hired these guys that didn't know each other somebody else wrote the songs and blah blah, blah. every word of it was bullshit but it, we we what do you do you just say no that's a lie like they there's nothing we can do at the time there was nothing we could do to prove them wrong we we're just like no we've known i have photos like we've known each other but there's no YouTube, there's no cell phones with pictures. Like, it's just your word against them. So going into Meteora, we said, not only do we have to write an album that proves we can do it again, but we have to show them that we're the ones writing it. Like we have to show them how we do it and how hard we're working to get to where we're at. That was part of the challenge that was up against us, that was put on us by other people, but also part of the challenge that we put on ourselves was to like, really prove that we earned it in a sense. And by the way, as a second thought, make sure that we advanced the conversation. We weren't gonna just do hybrid theory part two, that we could set ourselves up to be more than just the band that they found out about on the first record, that, that there had to be songs on the record that proved we could, we could change the, the, the musical approach 
I was going to say genre, but like we weren't, we never wanted to be part of a genre. Like we wanted to change the approach and the idea of genre as a concept. We wrote the song called Breaking the Habit. We made the label promise us we could release it as a single. We were like, you guys, this is so important for the band to have a song out that has no heavy guitars, no screaming, no metal at all. It's a, it's mostly sampled, uh, like like programmed rather, drum beats and strings and things. That's the meat and potatoes of the track. Just to let people know that we can we don't subscribe to this like idea of what the band is supposed to sound like. I don't want to be the one the battles always choose cuz inside I realize that I'm the one confused. I don't know what's worth fighting for. Seeing footage of you guys back then, hearing you talk about it now, you, you're constantly like flooded with good news and your kids, you're basically living out your dream. You're getting up on stage every night and, and giving everything you possibly have to a crowd, but you're still grappling with some really difficult things on Meteora, just as much as you were, if not more than, than on Hybrid Theory. You're still, like you and Chester both are still really, really heavily in that. You can see that happen across the history of, of rock music or just across the history of music. I mean, you know, Nirvana were breaking records, but at least for C Cobain, that was like actively pissing him off at the same time. He didn't want to be like that, but you're, you're kind of living out a dream at the same time. Like this tension that exists within the band between the music you're putting out and the experience you're having seems quite heated. Yeah, it's not unique to us. Like every musician, every band, everybody is like, has got their own version, right? What's your personal story at the time? What did you grow up in? What are you bringing to the table? How are you expressing that in the music? And for us, the dynamic was that I was becoming more and more the primary writer of the tracks and the lyrics, partially because Chester liked what I was writing. More on Meteora than on Hybrid Theory, he would kind of like, wait for me to to give him a thing and say, what, is this right? Sometimes I was writing things from my perspective that I was like, can you sing this? This is my story, can you sing it? And then other times I was writing for him. Like, I know this story about you and I wrote a song about it. And then other times I was writing something that was both of us, like a, like a little vague maybe, or like designed to address both of our, the way we felt about a thing. So. Sometimes, like a lot of times, it's tough because especially on those records, like the, the, the lyrical approach was a little more abstract. It was less telling a specific story and more like, I don't know. Yeah, like abstracted storytelling. And the reason for that was like, to us, it sounded good over the track. It's what the track felt like it was asking for. And by the way, I don't know that we had all the words to tell or the balls to tell our very specific stories at the time. We also just wanted to let fans like interpret it the way they wanted to interpret it. Like I could write a song about a thing and you could hear it and think it's about a different thing. And as far as I'm concerned, your thing is more important when you hear it. I don't want to ruin that by telling you some, no, it's about, you know, whatever. Do you think you felt 
a responsibility maybe at that time to write from, yeah, from a place of honesty and authenticity, but, but also like to write about the darkness because, uh, you know, hybrid theory obviously has a huge impact on, well, many, many millions of people, partly because of the sort of difficult topics that you and Chester are addressing about your know, addiction and, and just like abuse and, and, in many ways, as you're saying, like you're trying to connect with people, you want people to interpret it in their own ways. And when you realize that that's happening, you've got a second album, do you feel like you have to go back to the well with that? Even though we knew each other, I didn't grow up with Chester. So I met Chester in the late 90s. And I mean, I'd always hear news stories. Usually when we were in the studio, occasionally when we were just hang we traveled together to give you a sense of the context of what i mean like in the very beginning the whole band traveled together a lot after meteora the band traveled traveled separately a lot like maybe going into meteora it started there when we could afford to travel separately in the beginning you're just in a bus or a van together at a certain point we had the financially we could afford to have more space for each other like for ourselves and like really because you sometimes need especially with that level of pressure you need a little more personal space so we we got that and then eventually we chose to give that up and chester and i traveled together always like almost always i should say that said like we i always heard stories that i hadn't heard funny bad just weird i think during the meteora time he would tell me about things that were going on in the present he was telling me about things that went on in the past and i was like oh man like i feel like i'm listening to a movie like your life is like a movie it's just very dramatic in some ways you know and he's talked about all of that stuff the childhood stuff on you can you know it's not from that's not a story for me to tell that's that's for listen to it on youtube or whatever so yeah so those stories like some of those stories were new to me and they were like oh wow like that's you know here's how i relate to that my version of that which is whatever it is like that's that's the song you know whether it's a song like i think um numb was more of a backwards looking song like this is how i felt in a relationship and it's over time it's become this way whereas faint was more of a this is how i'm feeling today like there's an urgency you can tell based on the track itself like it's pulling out that urgency that like why doesn't anybody trust what i'm saying to them like you're not listening to me i won't be ignored that type of thing i think most people go through a version of that when they're growing up like i'm not being heard why doesn't anybody hear me why doesn't anybody see me and that's what those, I think we were really, at that time, what we were feeling more than anything is like, you know, I keep telling people my story and how sincere I feel about this thing. And they don't, I did feel like they don't hear me. You're speaking so vividly about that time, and it's two decades ago, and you seem to be really in touch with it. I wonder if that's partly because 
you've revisited these archives. Do you think that's true? Like, what, what was it like going back into this, a rehearing lost for the first time in God knows how long? Well, I mean, when we were like looking for songs, looking for material for this thing, like, I don't think I was looking for that song. I think I was actually looking for, there's another song in the that I knew was in somewhere in a hard drive called, it ended up being called Fighting Myself. Um, I knew that one existed and I was like, oh, we got to find whatever's, wherever that CD is, like whatever that hard drive, wherever that hard drive is, we got to find that. And we found, we found it. And in the process, I realized once we, I heard Lost, it was like, oh my God, I forgot about this song. Like we had been writing Meteora and we had like 40 demos or something. And you narrow down and narrow down and narrow down. Oh, these ones, they don't have any vocals yet. They're not going to be contenders. Get rid of them. These ones have vocals. They're close. Keep working on them. These ones are keepers. And eventually you get to the point where it's like, okay, this, we're going to make an album of about 12 songs out of these. So we mixed, I, I want to say we mixed 13. Like, I don't know, but I remember that we did get to the point where we almost put Lost on Meteora we realized that tonally it was like the same kind of emotion and energy of numb and numb was arguably a better song we liked it better at the time so we were like well yeah so then we can't have two numbs like we just put lost somewhere else like i don't know where we're, we didn't know what we were going to do with it so we just you know shelved it and forgot about it <laughs> and so now like finding it was like oh my god the song got all the way to the finish line like fans are gonna love to hear this like it was so fun to hear where we were at at that point and it's also just lyrically i think it's such a nice uh reminder of that era and the connection to what we were doing what we were about why people were showing up in the first place it's as much about the work you put into it as it is about the things you're writing about but that's kind of what's connoted by the album artwork right is this this whole day where you guys are sort of everybody's graffitiing over each other on that wall like it's just this big project so street art as it were like the new modern version of street art was for the first time around hybrid theory was starting to separate from graffiti like shepherd fairy banksy you know, folks like that were showing up and and we were like, oh, oh my God, we love that stuff so much. We're like the soldier on hybrid theory was literally just a Banksy ripoff before anybody knew who Banksy really was. We didn't know how to contact Banksy, so we just did it. On Meteora, we had the means. Like it was like, oh, your first record was the biggest record on the planet. It was the biggest album, bigger than everything. And we eventually, because of that, had the means to like make an album and album art that was you got to imagine something and like do it like so we had this idea to do basically a huge mural um with our our friend and art director frank maddox and we found a graffiti artist street artist that named delta that we loved he he did those geometric shapes and we were like oh we love how that connects to like visually it feels like gundam it feels like anime and like transformers and shit like that like that we like he would be great to add to the mix to add that element to it and we just did like a freestyle paint day inside this warehouse and frank shot photos james Minchin came shot photos and we just that all of that became the packaging for meteora and i think it was the idea of the phrase work in progress showed up around that time i think we wrote it on the wall or something this was our moment to say no album is perfect. No band is perfect. No artist is perfect. You're just trying to get to the best version of yourself and, and your music that you can at the moment. And we had that feeling of like, okay, 
yeah, we're like a work in progress and we're going to let the album be that, like show people that we want to be something more than the thing they saw last time. And we were, you know, so we were taking more, I, I feel like we were, it, it showed itself in like terms of like taking risks on the, on the record. A little bit of loneliness, a little bit of disregard, handful of complaints, but I can't help the fact that everyone can see these scars. What I want you to want, what I want you to feel, but it's like no matter what I do, I can't convince you to just believe this is real. So let go, watching you, turn your back like you always do, face away and pretend that I'm not, but I'll be here cause you're all that I got. I can't with fighting myself and, and more the victim which will be the two other sort of finished tracks that that most fans haven't heard did you not know or had you just had you like forgotten that you and chester laid down vocals for them each of the, each of the, I mean, you know, more the victim, fighting myself and lost all had different stories. So it's probably best if we just talk about lost, just for the sake of time. I think with lost, what the the the, the moment that I felt like, oh, this is really, we're really lucky, is the is that we found the multi tracks of it, like we found all of the stems of everything, because then that that gave us the opportunity to touch up the mix and get it really presentable. We'd had it mixed originally by Andy Wallace. After we listened to that in the context of everything, we were like, let's give it a new mix. We love Andy to death. He's an absolute legend. Um, and he mixed Hybrid Theory. He mixed Meteora. It wasn't so much about Andy as it was about the sounds that we gave him. We reapproached that mix to make it presentable for almost like 2023 standards. Actually, I can talk about one other one because it is important to like compare and I can say something about like the overall philosophy, which is fighting myself. The first thing we found was like, what I was looking for, what I thought we had was a demo with verses on it. Like the track all the way down to the end, but my I had verse one and verse two on there and that was it. That's what I thought we had. And then I think management, I think Ryan from management or somebody, at least he was the one who sent it to me. He said, I found a version that Chester's singing on. And I was like, what? And so he played me that and I was like, okay, we got to find, what is this? Like, we can release this as it is, but like, there, what if there's more there? We've, and we found the session of that song, which I didn't know they'd kept a version of it that was playable by today's standards. So I got to go into the multis of that and I found his, like we were demoing different chorus ideas and you could see it go from like a really bad rough sketch to like the best version that we had. And so there was a chorus and I was like, that's the song. Like we've got, now we've got everything. Like he did vocals on the whole thing. And I remembered, you know, being in the studio and working on that and writing it and deciding that it wasn't going to make the cut. So we just stopped working on it. That leads me to the point about the philosophy of this. That raised the question, okay, we've got this session and I can, like I could re rewrite my verses. I could rewrite and re-record my verses now. Is that something I want to do on this particular demo, this particular song? I talked to the guys too. Like we decided that it would be better. It's pure, more pure and true to the intention of Meteora 20 to not do any new recording. So we kept everything as it was. It's the original lyrics, it's the original recording because we wanted it to be true to, it, to that for this particular package. I mean, the other interesting thing about that is that these are 
for, for all of the work you're talking about with around Meteora, you can feel that these are a little bit more raw, that there's not quite the amount of embellishment, the sheer amount of like attempts to perfect the sound and to put the sound of effort there. Like this feels like an idea that's almost a completion. There's something kind of refreshing about hearing that. Does it feel a little bit odd to release it though, to, to compared to all that other stuff, to feel a little bit sort of naked by comparison? I just thought it was more authentic to do it this way. Like, I feel like we could have gone back into these tracks and like done that exercise. It didn't feel like the right thing to do. That doesn't mean that it won't be, it wouldn't ever be the right thing to do for, for us or for anybody else. It's not a judgment on other music. I just feel like when, when a song is sitting in front of me in the studio, I'm just trying to do what's right for that song in the moment. It's a bit like channeling it right like you're i'm in touch with i gotta get in touch with what the song wants to be so the the execution the like the tool set the the choices whatever like i'm not a really so much of a formula kind of writer or producer like i i love to just the experimentation process and the getting familiar with the song as a it's almost like personification like you want to get to know them right i felt like this project and these things is best presented as just like a snapshot moment in time I thought it was interesting comparing this anniversary project and revisiting this in quite a raw way to post-traumatic. What you did there, like lyrically, sonic, that album felt raw. And I think that was the point. Oh my God, it was so uncomfortable for people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I just want to listen to a song, man. Like, what are you dragging me through all this fucking emotion? Like, this is horrible to listen. I almost feel bad after the fact. Cause I like went on tour with it and everything. And I was like, damn, this is some depressing crap. But it was like, it was necessary. It was, it was like so cathartic for me and so cathartic for so many people, I think. It's not for everybody. That's but saying all of that. That's the, the whole thing that I'm saying is that I know that most people, that would be too much. It was usually people were showing up to listen to it or to come to the show because they either felt that grief personally in their lives for their own personal reasons or your events or they were feeling that over Lincoln Park and Chester so whichever it was they were coming to commune in a you know a space where it was okay to do that i hope they felt like they were in good hands that i wasn't going to just make it shitty uh, the point of it was to get to to look it that feeling dead in the face and just accept it and be okay with that, which is really hard. And I was exhausted. I did a lot of drawing. I would doodle ideas of songs and stuff. And I mostly devoted time after that to like instrumentals and working on other people's music. For a long time, I was doing that. I was recovering from that era and all of that. But I'm glad to be where I'm at now. I think I'm in an awesome place now. Somebody told me for everybody who goes through stuff like that, you're looking to thrive. What is what makes me thrive? What, what, what's the feeling of that, right? What do I do that's in my control to get it? It's not ideal to find your positivity and your meaning and your thriving when it's something that someone else controls. You gotta look for the things that you can do. So whether that's getting outside more or 
creating a schedule in your day or making sure to work out or making sure to, sure to go out on dinner or go out on dates or like call your parents, call your friends, like whatever that stuff is. Like I always knew that was important stuff. I think it's more important than I thought it was. I'm trying to think what it would feel like after having been through all that and dealt with it publicly to unexpectedly hear Chester's voice again singing like that while you're just trying to uncover stuff. That would happen in like back in the back in 2018, 2017, 2018. Like I'd go into the like, I could go into a, sh a store and like in the end would play and I'd be like, fuck, I'd leave. That was tough. But yeah, I'm not there anymore. Like I have, I have kids. My kids' friends will find out. I mean, they'll send my kids a message, the text message, DM or whatever and be like, your dad is in Lincoln Park? Dude. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, it's cool that I am, but it's cool that they like it. Like it's, you know, the fact that it is meaningful, it's still meaningful to anybody is, is I mean, you know. The track comes out in like eight days, right? And it's gonna be a total surprise, I think, to fans. What's the ideal response to this for you beyond just like excitement? You know what I would love? I would love for people that were there and that saw it to share it with people that weren't there and were too young, not for the sake of st more streaming or whatever, but specifically for to get them excited about the idea of a group of people playing, playing instruments together. I love when I see young people, and I'm saying, I mean 13, 14, 15, on TikTok and Instagram playing an instrument and it's undeniable. They're not getting an audience, building followers in the fan base because they're hot, because they've got a hot dance, because they've jumped on a trend at the right time. Those kids are building a real fan base because they're talented and you will never be able to take that away from them. I follow a bunch of different like people who are like age, I don't know, like, I don't know, I mean, I'm gonna say 16 to 25, who it's mostly guitar and drums, a couple, few singing, like whatever. And they'll like just play, they'll mostly just play covers. Incredible. Like if, if, if some kid who wasn't playing an instrument watch it, listens to the Linkin Park song ever in their life and has the thought, I should learn to play guitar. I should learn to play the drums. I wanna sing. Please, that's, that's the great, to me, that's the greatest. Do you ever think about what it would have been like? Does it seem harder now? Like Linkin Park blew up and you suddenly had like the biggest selling album in the entire universe. And it stayed that way for a really long time. And the industry was hard, like it, it sucked back then, but it's more complicated now, right? Like, do you, do you ever think about- I think it's worse. I think it's harder now. I think it's worse if I'm being honest. Um, and it's not anybody's fault. I'll say that technology and culture have moved in a way that disconnected people from some of the things we, the people used to enjoy more. When an artist makes a great song and the first thing everybody around them says is, how are we gonna make this trend on TikTok? Like, can you imagine how looking at what you in your heart wanna make, like what you feel like is a good song and then realizing that it has no place in the world of those of social media and streaming and what like because you can just look back what so one one reason is like analytics one reason is numbers like when when we were making hybrid theory and meteora we weren't looking at numbers on the internet all day 
We weren't like you didn't have the follower count and the like count and the number of streams count and the number of views. That information wasn't part of your every minute existence. It didn't exist. And now it's all that exists. Everywhere you go, everything you look at, it's all quantified. That changes the way you approach like making shit. You lose artistry in that in that process. It's it's sad. You also like I feel like it'd be tough to like be an artist who is trying to make something different also because everybody everyone around you is aware of the numbers game. So they're going to be like, "Yeah, that's like it's really cool that you want to do this, you know, artsy approach, but like you're going to not do as well." That's what they'll say. It's like it's not going to be as successful, but it's a great statement piece or whatever. We don't want to sign you or we don't want to manage you or we don't want to support you because it's like we really love your thing, but like clearly you're losing the numbers game. And that's sad. Because back in the day you just didn't have that. You could just get you could just make a bet on somebody because you're like, I don't know who's gonna like this, but like I just think it's cool. I just think it's different. It is interesting though that Lincoln Puck are going through a sort of renaissance in kind of underground music. I've listened to the new 100 Gex album that's coming out soon, and like, Linkin Park sounds like it's all over it. They're great. I fucking love 100 Gex. We got a 100 Gex remix of One Step Closer. We put that out, and I knew that it'd get, I knew that like the whole Linkin Park fan base was just gonna be like, what the fuck is this? We hate this. And I told them, I did tell Laura and Dylan before it happened, before we put it out, I was like, just be aware. You're used to looking at comments. Your comments have been directed at you in your ecosystem. The comments here are going to be negative. I promise you they will be. Just ride it out with me and just know that I believe in you guys. Like, I love what you made. That's the most important thing is do you like it and do we like it? And we do. So just don't worry about that stuff. It's going to, whatever, it's going to happen. That's exactly what happened. They, yeah, they were pro about it. They, they wrote it out and directed their responses at, at the fans who did like it. And I think that shows real a lot of things professionalism it shows like bravery it shows yeah they're great is it cool to see your influence though 20 years later coming back in through these sort of particularly unexpected channels i love it yeah i for a long time we were we, i think we got subtly well even some cases not so subtly imitated and ripped off and we were really prickly about it <clears throat> we wouldn't say it in person but privately we were like ugh. At one point, there was a band that you've never heard of, but they wrote songs that sounded like us. They had two vocalists, I think. They chose the same producer. They chose the same mixer. They had the same photographer shoot them. I mean, it was just absurd. It's like, you guys, like, it's exhausting. It's so exhausting. So at that in that era, we were very, like, it was just so annoying. And then, yeah, and I think over time, we had a different look at it, which is that, you know, to have inspired a lot of people or be, be so much their favorite that they would do that is, is a blessing. And, you know, the ones that do it now, I think most of, I think most times when I hear, when somebody says, oh, that band like really sounds like they're, they're influenced by Linkin Park. Most of the time when I hear it, I go like, really? Like, I may, may I can hear it. Once you say it, once you say that, I can hear it. But like, at the, at the outset, I don't usually 
hear it as much as somebody else. And then once they point it out, I go, oh yeah. And then it doesn't, I don't like it any more or less. It's just, it's. That was Mike Shinoda in conversation with The Fader. The 20th anniversary edition of Linkin Park's second album, Meteora, is out April 7 via Warner Records. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giambroni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfand. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com and we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. If you like listening to The Fader, good news. We're on the new live radio app, Amp. Download it from the App Store now. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.